Good morning, everybody. Thank God Jesus is sitting on the throne. Praise God we have a Jesus that can sit on the throne, who is worthy, the Lamb. There's no greater love than His love. And um, we're so grateful, so thankful for His love that condescended from His great throne of glory and came and humbled Himself and dwelt among us in our lowly estate and lifted us up when He rose up. And wasn't that really what his coming was all about, is to bring us back to glory with him. So thank God the weak can say, I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus um, taught on the kingdom of God. My favorite teaching of Jesus on the kingdom of God is out of Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. Very short, very concise. There's four moving elements in this uh, story, in this parable, if you will, this teaching, and we're going to take a look at them. We're on um, part four of this series, and so let's take a look at our verse together. Matthew thirteen forty four. Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. There it is. That's Jesus teaching on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So there's four moving parts. The first is the treasure. Jesus Christ is the treasure. Um, think of it like this. Jesus and his power to restore man's authority over the fallen world is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure because the whole history of mankind, 6,000 years of it, is the story of man's search for the lost authority that he forfeited when he turned from the truth of God to the lie of Satan. And he lost his position with God and he lost the authority that he had in the earth. And so the sad history of humanity is 6,000 years of the search for that authority. When Jesus Christ came, he was the treasure because Jesus restored us to our communion with the Father, thus restoring our authority under God over the world. And of course, as I shared in one of the early messages, um, that kingdom is right now sown in seed form in the hearts of men, but one day Jesus will return and, the, and completely fulfill his kingdom promise over the whole world. The second element in this teaching is um, finding the treasure. He says that a man found a treasure. And so I believe that's receiving the gospel with joy. He found the treasure. And so we're talking about a guy who was, as we say, got saved. He found the treasure with joy. The third element in this teaching is the field. The field is the environment that the treasure's in. So the field is the environment of Jesus' rule. Jesus is the king, and so the field is the kingdom. And we know this because Jesus said, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is as if a man found a treasure in a field. And so the point that Jesus makes is that the kingdom of God is a treasure that cannot be removed or Jesus is a treasure that cannot be removed from the field. 
So the field and the treasure are inseparable. They cannot be separated. And the fourth element in this teaching is buying the field. The man is overjoyed that he's found Jesus. And so as a response to finding Jesus, he goes and he sells off his stock in the world. He no longer puts his trust or his stock in the world. He takes everything and he comes and relocates in the field, in the kingdom. And so buying the field is basically selling off your stock in the world and relocating under Jesus' authority in the kingdom of God. And so the, the obvious first point that emerges is no kingdom, no overcoming power. If you do not live under Jesus' authority, none of the things he said about you having power or having authority will ever work in your life. The only way for the believer to have authority is to not just have Christ in their heart, but to be in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be in his authority or to live in the kingdom of God. So last week I shared two points about this. I said I have four points to make. I'm going to speak about one of them this morning. The third point about kingdom authority is the church is not the kingdom. Let that just soak in for a minute. The church, not this church, not the church over there, not the church up in New York, not the church in Jerusalem, the churches that we assemble in, the denominations and organizations that host them are not the kingdom. Your relationship with Jesus' authority, not the church, but with Jesus' authority, determines your abiding in the kingdom. You can't say you're abiding in the kingdom because you abide at Faith Christian Church or any church. Now, there are some churches that in their doctrine, in the fundamental of their doctrine, if you maintain the right relationship with the church, God will see that as right relationship in his kingdom. The problem with that is that the field that Jesus lives in is not the church. The field is the kingdom. Each church, each individual must decide if they're going to live. You can live in Faith Christian Church and not live in the kingdom. You can find the treasure and not go sell all and come back and have the kingdom. And that is a very important message because if you don't get that message, you're going to expect certain outcomes based upon the promises of God in your life. They're not going to work. And what you're going to do is you're going to try to explain them to yourself by saying, I must not be in right communion with the Lord, or I'm not doing this right, or I'm, I'm not quoting my verses right. But the reality is that God spoke about the kingdom through Jesus about receiving it like a child. So it's not the sophistication, it's not the eloquence, it's not how, how well you um, learn and maintain your catechisms or your lessons or any of those things. You can be actually awkward in the way that you say things or the way that you quote the scriptures and still walk with great authority because the authority does not come from relationship with the church. It comes from relationship with Jesus' authority. And now I have just put millions of so-called Christians under warning with that statement because there's a lot of Christians that have gotten mad at the church, 
They don't like the church they grew up in. They don't like their mom and dad's church. They don't like this church. They don't like the church where they, where they, they weren't welcomed or somebody looked at them or whatever it is. You know, they heard a teaching they didn't like. And so they're out there and they're sitting in lounges and in bars and hanging out and doing something different with their life. But they all say, well, I've got Jesus in my heart. I got a relationship with Jesus. Nobody can tell me about my relationship with Jesus. I respect that. I understand it. I can't judge that. That is, that is in the sacred area of a person's soul in their life. And I can't intrude in there. I, I don't see in there. God sees in there. But I do know this. I do know this. You are not in the kingdom just because you say you have Jesus in your heart, even if you really do have Jesus in your heart. Don't sit there on a bar stool, mad at the church, and think that you're in the kingdom. Because being in the kingdom is living under Jesus' authority. When you're living under Jesus' authority, guess what? You're doing what he says to do. You're doing what the word says to do. You are following him. You're saying, not my will, but your will be done. And so it's your relationship, not just with Jesus, but your relationship with Jesus' authority that determines your participation in the kingdom of God. So getting saved, finding the treasure, instantly, instantly enrolls you as a citizen in the kingdom. But you can, you can live the, the life uh, if you want of an expatriate, you can go live abroad. You can go travel the world. You cannot live in your homeland if you wish to and still have a citizenship. Meaning you, you could die, you'll still go to heaven. Heaven will claim you. You're saved. Jesus is Lord uh, um, of your salvation. But is he Lord of your life? Hello. Am I talking to anybody? Anybody out there that's, that's hearing this? Um, so getting saved instantly enrolls you as a citizen in the kingdom, but whether you actually live in the kingdom is up to you. I want you to hear a parable that Jesus put forth that is startling. There's no other way to put it. If you actually let Jesus mean what he's saying here, it's frightening, but it's, it's a clean frightening. It's a, you know, it, it's a kind of frightening that will wake you up and bring you into the presence of God. It's taken from Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 19. And he spoke a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately come and appear. And he said, therefore, to them, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and he delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him. Let me say it again. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man reign or rule over us. Now I want you to understand that he is talking about people whose names are enrolled in the kingdom of God. And the Bible says they hated him. Now, Jesus said there would be many people that would stand before him on that day and, and say, well, Lord, you know, when did we see you naked or thirsty or hungry and didn't feed you or clothe you or meet your needs? And he'll say, well, when you didn't do it to the least of mine. He didn't say go running the streets of the world and clothing and feeding. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but you're not clothing feeding Jesus just because you run around and give everybody who doesn't have clothes clothes. He says and that you 
done it to the least of mine. In other words, you're living in the kingdom. You are treating the body of Christ with honor and with respect because you're living in the kingdom. And you're honoring Jesus. And why would you do that? Because you think that person earned the water or deserves the food or, or deserves the clothing. It has nothing to do with that. It's because Jesus deserves my giving it. That is the point. I am acting on his behalf. I am under authority. I am under his lordship. I'm not out here making these judgments on my own. You're worthy. You're not worthy. I don't have the right to make those evaluations. Those evaluations are made by the king of the kingdom. And I, if I'm going to operate under the kingdom, I'm going to do all as unto the Lord. The term Lord indicates he has a kingdom. And so Jesus said in his parable, some of his citizens hated him. And, and many of them will arrive at the, at the judgment and go, well, what, what, when did we hate you? And Jesus is going to just simply explain in, in one form or another, he's going to get the point across, you hated me when you hated my authority. You didn't like me ruling over you. You didn't like me telling you you can't do that. You did not want me. You wanted to go to church. You wanted to be a Christian, but you didn't want me running your life. Are you listening? That is, that, that is frightening. That is frightening because it, 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 it's, uh, maybe frightening wouldn't be the right word. Uh, let's try sober. It's sobering. It's sobering. We will not have this man rule over us. They didn't say they didn't want him to sing songs to. They didn't want him it doesn't say they didn't want him as a glorious example. It says they didn't want him to rule. A lot of people want Jesus, but they don't want his lordship. So now when Jesus lays down the qualifications for entering the kingdom of God, he, he says we must be like children. Remember when Jesus said in, in the gospel of Mark chapter 10, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child cannot enter it. Once again, we're talking about entering and residing in the kingdom. There are a lot of Christians who got saved, but they haven't grown up to childhood. I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now, my favorite uh, Bob Dylan bird song, uh, My Back Pages. That phrase is so filled with power and with truth. They haven't grown up into childhood. They're still adolescent adults. They're still childish adults, stiff in their will. I'm saved. Jesus is Lord. See, I've got a Bible. I belong to that church over there. Um, I attend services, um, but I run my life. He doesn't run my life. I run my life. And when the Holy Spirit convicts me or, or brings something to my conscience, if if I don't find it adaptable, if I don't find it flowing with what I like to do, I resist it by making excuses. I can't do that. I'm not made that way. I don't have that kind of personality. You know, um, well, I'd have to die and, and become another person. Hello. <laughs> I thought that's what getting saved was. You, you know, you die daily and, and, and you allow Christ to, to reform you around the fruits of his spirit. So he says, if you cannot receive the kingdom like a child, like a child, you cannot enter into it. Now listen, 
We have often looked at that verse and we've said he must be talking about children's ability to believe. When you tell a child something, even if it's a lie, they believe it. If you tell them something that's a fantasy, they believe it, right? I don't believe Jesus was talking about a child's gullibility. I believe he was talking about their willingness to be led. Children know they need a shepherd and they're willing to, to follow. And so I believe Jesus was talking about a child's ability to relate to authority. We get older, all of a sudden we don't want people telling us what to do. What's the, what's the first thing that hits a parent, you parents that have raised children, what's the first thing that hits you is that moment. Many of you have embedded in your mind a moment standing in the kitchen or in the bedroom when you said to do something or whatever, and your child just there was a line that just got crossed. You knew that from that day forward, things were different. And, and when you, all of a sudden your child did not like you telling them what to do. Wow, that's never happened before. It happens. It's called independence. So, you know, when people would come to Jesus and he'd say, you need to go back and be childlike if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why does he say that? Because you will not be able to get along with his authority if you don't. That's why you must be born again and enter as a child with a child's heart. Adult people have, have got this resistance to authority that they have developed because they live in a world and they live in a world, you know what the world is like. And so you build a resistance to authority and you, you build self-reliance and those things may be fine in the world, but when you're trying to enter the kingdom of God, they're going to get in the way. And so many Christians are saved, but they are not living in the kingdom. So I say again, the church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is the kingdom. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the two are the same. Um, you can think about, if you want to conceptualize what is the kingdom of God, you can think about it like this. I'll give you a phrase and just see if you can, can build around this phrase. The kingdom of God is the activity that emanates from Jesus' right to rule. The activity that emanates from Jesus' right to rule. Did you notice that Jesus in the Gospels, and even today we call it an era of grace for a reason, did not come in and send lightning down upon people that said, I don't want to do what you're saying. I don't want to follow what you're saying. Do you notice he said, I, don't, I haven't come to judge the world. That's not that the world doesn't need to be judged. It doesn't mean that he isn't going to one day judge the world. He said, at this time, I am not come to judge the world. I've come to offer opportunity. And I cannot offer the opportunity and judge the world at the same time. Because people are, are, get spooked and they're hurt and they're bruised. And so they need to know there's a door of love and grace open to them or they get confused. So that door's got to be open. But you need to understand that once you receive him, entering the kingdom is you are entering the activity that surrounds Jesus' right to rule. So if we're going to enter the kingdom, we have to recognize that Jesus has the right, absolute right over everything in your life. He has the absolute 100% say-so over you and everything about you. Um, as, a, as a hardcore atheist, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I didn't have any um, preconceived religious notions. 
about anything, <laughs> for that matter, but uh, certainly not about Christianity. But the one thing when, when, I was, when I met Jesus that one night alone in my bedroom and, and got saved, that I knew, I knew this is God. He is Lord over everything. I knew that every atom, every element, every molecule, every organ, every function, every thought, every closet in my mind belonged to him. Every bit of it was his. His right to rule. And that is a concept, you may think I'm beating it into the ground, but that's a concept a lot of people haven't really yet come to. Do you see Jesus as having a right over everything in your life to rule? And um, so the activity that surrounds Jesus' right to rule, that is the kingdom. Now, the reason I, I, I made that point is because, because that is not, I believe, that is not the primary feature around which the church is organized today. A lot of churches are, a lot of Christians are, but I think the greater part of them perhaps are not. Um, the activity surrounding Jesus' right to rule as opposed to um, the activity that emanates from the revelation of his divinity. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Healer. Jesus is Deliverer. All, are any of those not true? Those are all absolutely true. We should embrace them. We should, but none of them say Jesus is Lord. They just say Jesus is Savior. Jesus is divine. Today, the church is largely built on the revelation that Jesus is God and that as God, he is the Lord of blessings and the Lord of provisions. You can be a Christian that follows Jesus is God without being a Christian that follows Jesus is Lord. Now, I want you to hear me because there were multitudes who followed Jesus. And one day he turned around and he said, let me tell you why you're following me. Because they also, oh, we believe he's Messiah and all of that stuff. Until he laid down some of the terms of lordship and the multitudes walked away. Why, he said, did, did, are you following me? Because I healed you, because I was good to you, because I spoke the truth to you, because I listened to you. I didn't treat you like the, like the Pharisees treated you. So Jesus, Jesus said that people can follow his divinity without, without necessarily honoring his lordship. The church has been in a 40 to 50 year transition, transitioning from lordship-based Christianity to worship-based Christianity. Now, you'll probably never go into a church where you hear anybody, a, a preacher, get up and say anything bad about worship. Why would we do that? But the church today sees worship as the pinnacle of Christian experience. And people will even fight about worship and what it's supposed to be like and argue. It is the bread and butter of modern Christianity. You can worship Jesus with a Jesus is divine centered Christianity. You're not necessarily worshiping him with obedience. Him only. You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. Millions of Christians 
every week go into churches, worship, weep, cry, go through all that, that people go through in their particular churches, and their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I am not the one to say that they aren't. But they are not worshiping his lordship. They're worshiping the revelation of his divinity. So the church, I believe, has been in this 40 to 50 year transition where we have transitioned. I remember back in the days when I first got saved that everything was about Jesus is Lord. The whole message of the gospel was take up your cross and follow Jesus. He is Lord. And that was foremost in all of the preaching, all of the teaching, it was foremost in the very atmosphere of the church and of the body of Christ. That has turned, it has changed. And sadly, I think in most cases, that no longer exists. It's been replaced with Jesus is worshipable. I think I just coined a word, but he's, he's worshipable. <laughs> um, so worship-based Christianity has elevated Jesus' popularity in the earth while diminishing the manifestation of his authority. Millions of people love to worship, do not like being told what to do. Don't tell me how to think, don't tell me what to do, don't tell me that I need to do this or do that, and even argue. You know, one of the wonderful things and terrible things at the same time is uh, social media because everybody's on there and the platform of social media gives people brazenness to say things they would never say to your face. So they get on there and they, they, they pontificate, they spout off, they, they get angry, they are what I call crotchety Christians. We have the social media has created a society of ill-bred, ill-tempered, crotchety Christians who feel the right to get on there and talk to whoever they want to and say it any old way they want to say it. There is a spirit of rebellion from the world that is seeping in to the house of God, that is seeping into Christianity. And if you are not living in the kingdom, if you are not a kingdom-based Christian, it's going to get into you. And lots of worship-based churches and worship-based Christians are being um, impacted and infiltrated by that rebellion. Now, those that follow Jesus' right to rule, they are in the kingdom. But those who follow his blessings, like the crowds that follow him, they are not the kingdom, they're a religious camp. There's a difference between the kingdom and a religious camp. Camps are always larger than the kingdom. The religious camp historically, and it is today, is always bigger than the kingdom. But camps quickly disperse and regather with the changing conditions. The kingdom's immovable. People that live in the kingdom don't move, they don't change. Fads come and go, trends come and go, circumstances are favorable, circumstances are, are not favorable, they don't move. They're going to be standing under the lordship of Jesus, whether they're popular for it or whether they're not popular. Everybody else, the divinity-based, acknowledging divinity, worship-based Christians, they will disperse when pressure comes. They will regather when it's favorable. So there's a religious camp, and a lot of Christians are in it. But I am calling God's people into the kingdom. We need to be in the kingdom. We need to live and walk in the kingdom. Can you say amen? So 
Kingdom abiders, though they are few in number, cannot be moved. Hebrews chapter 12 says, um, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. Hallelujah. When you stand under the authority, when he is the say-so over your life, you will stand. Even if you're weak and falling apart, you, God will make you to stand. I personally believe that what I've said to you this morning, because we see it rising and there, there's such a, a, a sharp contrast between the, uh, between the two, that I believe Christianity as a whole is being teed up, you know, like in golf, is being teed up for what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and talked about as the great falling away. I believe the church is being teed up for the great falling away today because the popular music Jesus has no power to keep its followers when the shaking begins. And Hebrews says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So if you're a popular praise and worship music Christian, you are not going to stand. There is a shaking you will endure, but there's a point at which you will fall off because you cannot stand. The only people that are going to stand are what the author wrote in Hebrews. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken until that which cannot be shaken is standing. And he said, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The only believers that are going to make it through this time are kingdom believers. Somebody say amen. amen. So in Romans chapter 8, hallelujah. The Apostle Paul in the seventh chapter has just finished up saying, oh my gosh, uh, sometimes I hate myself because when I want to do good, I mess up. How many of you remember that? How many of you secretly, you don't want to admit it publicly, one of your favorite verses? You go to it regularly and go, oh, thank God I'm not alone. So Paul's talking about my mind, I serve God, but my body's off running around doing something else. So he has just said all this in Romans 7, and then he comes into the 8th chapter of Romans. He says, oh, who will deliver me from the, the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus. Now there is therefore no condemnation. Now hold on, wait for it, to those who are in the kingdom in Christ. He's talking the entire 8th chapter is about abiding in the kingdom. It's in that 8th chapter where Paul says, Walk after the Spirit. What Spirit? The Spirit of God's authority. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than the Spirit of the authority of God. And um, you know, the, the, the Holy Ghost is never going to compromise. He never does. He never will. And so Paul says in that 8th chapter, the whole thing is about walk after the Spirit and not after your own will, not after the flesh. And as a result, then comes that great ending at the end of the 8th chapter, that beautiful bloom of promise. Hallelujah. And he says, I am persuaded, hallelujah, that neither death or life or angels or demonic principalities and powers, things in my past, things in my present, things that are ahead of me, things that are above me, things that are below me, nothing Nothing will in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Woo, hallelujah. We love that promise, don't we? There is nothing that the world of the devil can possibly cook up that can 
separate, drive a wedge between me and Jesus. Who has a right to expect that in their life? Those who buy the field. Those who buy the field. And any preacher that will not get up and tell his congregation the truth, tell them there's a field to buy, is not doing them a service. The, the richest blessings are for kingdom abiders. Amen. Stand with me this morning. I'd like us to take a moment in our closing and to pray.